Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today because, gosh, I have the most intriguing guest. I have not been able to sleep. I couldn't wait to talk to Kevin. His name is Kevin Roberts. He describes himself as possessing both the gifts and the challenges of ADHD. He's a former teacher at a school for gifted kids, and during that time, Kevin realized that among that gifted population, there was a significant incidence of ADHD, and he started developing strategies to really help those learners. Today, he works as a coach for families, uh, helping people realize their potential, but he also speaks internationally about brain research. And get this, Kevin is also an expert on gaming and social media addiction. In fact, this is super cool. He was featured on an ABC 2020 episode about, about gaming addiction, so I cannot wait to hear from him. How are you, Kevin? Well, I am doing fine, and I had trouble sleeping, too, because I was so excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, we're not sleeping. I'm not going to celebrate that. But, okay, so this is really cool because we're going to have two big topics today because Kevin is so well-versed in these things. One is about ADHD, and and as educators, we really need some help with that. And the other is about cyber addiction, which is such a big topic right now. I can't tell everything about Kevin, but I do want to mention his three books that I've, that I've gotten on and looked at. I'm going to read all of these. These are so interesting. One is called, and I love this title, Movers, Dreamers, and Risk Takers, Unlocking the Power of ADHD. The other about gaming and social media, one cyber junkie escaping the gaming and internet trap. And this one, and this has got a great cover with a mom with a, with a megaphone talking, yelling at her kid, get off that game now. The essential family guide to healthy screen behavior. So let's just jump right in. I mean, I was reading some reviews from people who've read your books and I was actually moved by some of these. Um, the first book I looked at was the one you wrote about unlocking the power of ADHD because one young man wrote this. I feel good about myself because of this book. Another was a dad who wrote, the author described my son exactly. And several people mentioned that your book helped remove the, quote, stigma of ADHD. How do you know so much about ADHD and where this passion for this topic developed, Kevin? Well, you know, I've all, personally, I've always felt different and I never, you know, I didn't have the ADHD label as a kid, but when I was an adult and I taught at a, this school, uh, I had a lot of ADHD students who were referred to me in my capacity as counselor, one of my many capacities. And I said, why are they giving me all these ADHD kids? And she says, well, that's easy. You're ADHD, right? I said, No. So then she gave me the psychometric testing and, you know, I came back with flying colors uh, as an ADHD person. And so from that point, that's where my passion uh, got really fired up. And so eventually I decided to do a master's degree and I was going to do, you know, I thought about master's degree, a PhD program in clinical psych. And I decided that what I was really interested in was ADHD. And that's what I wanted to focus in. So I worked with a fabulous professor of psychiatry, Dr. Arthur Robin with Wayne State University Medical School. And I worked with him and his program in coordination with Antioch University. And we did a self-directed individualized master's degree called ADHD studies. 
And so I, as my graduate work, as my movers, dreamers, and risk takers that you mentioned, that's simply an outgrowth of my graduate thesis. And uh, I did a whole course of study. I was involved in brain research and MRIs and, you know, psychiatric confabs and, uh, you know, doing rounds at hospitals, all sorts of stuff. And uh, that's where I really cut my teeth was during that program. But I have also worked with ADHD people and trained teachers and doctors and parents for about 20 years. So that's that's really something. And, uh, you know, when you coach families in moving beyond the symptoms of ADHD and into some of these positive traits, like you mentioned, some of these kids are just really successful and do great things. Doesn't always go that way. What does that look like? I mean, how do you help families? Well, you know, one of the big problems with in dealing with an ADHD is that a lot of negativity arises. This can happen in a family. Uh, this will happen in a classroom setting. Uh, you know, the teacher will get frustrated. The teacher will feel his or her resources often taxed, put to the limit. Uh, by an ADHD individual. So one of the things that I have to do, whether I'm training families, working with teachers, administrators, doctors, whatever, is we have to focus on some fundamentals about the ADHD brain. And the reason that I have found that is so important is because so many of us, when we deal with an ADHD individual, we think they're quote unquote, doing it on purpose. Uh, you're just lazy. You need to work harder. These are some of the messages we give to ADHD people. But when we educate people on the brain, they begin to see that this is not an act of the will. This is not about a lack of moral character. This is about differences in the brain. Can I give you a quick example of how that's true? Yes, I would love that. And I want to hear how their brains look different. So got to roll that in. That's what I'm going to, that's, you're, you're, you're predicting where I'm going. So one of the big features that is seen in not all ADHD individuals, but certainly many of us, is impulsivity. Well, that just means that we, we struggle to control our impulses. Now, when you have somebody that does stupid things, like maybe a, you know, a young person who's in fifth grade who brings matches to school and thinks it's a good idea to light a match in the classroom, uh, or maybe uh, somebody who thinks it's a good idea to climb up on the roof and jump off, well, it's real easy you know, to go to the place of, well, you should think before you act. Didn't you think of the consequences, young man? Well, it just so happens that our ability to control impulses is something very much wired in the brain. And one particular structure that you you and your listeners may never have heard of is called the caudate nucleus. And by the way, I have, I've written a whole song on that, which we can do later or on one of your uh, podcasts in the future. But this structure, the, the caudate nucleus, is intimately connected with our ability to control our impulses. Now, if you have somebody with no history of impulsivity, and they, perhaps by a car crash or some other closed head injury, injure the caudate nucleus, that person will become most often impulsive. And here's the, here are some tantalizing pieces of information regarding ADHD. When we look into the brains of many ADHDers, we find a high rate of what is called asymmetry in the caudate nuclei. In other words, you know, the brain, if there's a structure on one side, there's a, there's a, a corollary structure on the other, same structure on both sides. 
But when there's asymmetry, when one is shaped differently than the other, that's always a sign of trouble in the brain. And we find boys, especially boys with ADHD, have a high association of this asymmetry in the caudate nucleus. Another factor, uh, ADHD boys, especially the boys, have a high incidence of gene variations, genetic variants known to be involved with the caudate nucleus. So that's just one brain area. It's so if, if you got an impulsive kid, that impulsivity is not about a choice. I mean, you can help that person make choices and help that person become more conscious. But before we go there, we need in, a, in the deepest chambers of our minds to have a fundamental understanding that this is a behavior rooted in the brain. And we have to be careful how we deal with that person, because you know what the greatest side effect of an ADHD diagnosis is? What's that? It, damage to self-esteem. And so often these children who are impulsive and who have trouble focusing and paying attention to low-level stimuli over long periods of time, these children get better. Their ability to engage in what we call the executive functions of the brain, they get better. But when this damage to self-esteem is sustained, that tends to be lifelong. So we have to take great care, great pains to make sure that that damage does not occur. Okay, well, that's amazingly fascinating, and I'm writing notes as fast as I can. And here's the question I have for you that this popped into my head. We're understanding, okay, they are, they, their, their brain is this way on the impulsivity. As an educator, what are some techniques we can do to help them? And, and you know what? I'm also taking it back. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here is we can't see that. I mean, we're talking about inside their brain. And so I'm looking at this young man and I, I obviously, I can't see that. So maybe I'm reacting a certain way. Does that sound weird? Uh, you know, but so how do we help them control that and do, do a better job of their impulsivity? Well, I think that first of all, the, the, we have to sort of arm ourselves, imbue ourselves with that knowledge of how the brain works, because that right there, if we approach it from the point, if we can really let our brains be filled with, there's something going on with the brain here. Just like, you know, this student is nodding off. Oh, maybe he or she is having uh, some diabetic, he's diabetic, so maybe there's a there's a sugar issue. But we need to have that same kind of mindset with ADHD because when we do, we will treat that person with respect. We will treat that person in a way that honors the condition. So here are some things that you can do. If you have an impulsive student in your classroom, the first thing you can do is establish a dialogue with him or her. And if if a teacher or an administrator goes to school on the brain, Let's educate that student on the brain. And if we can have a positive and productive dialogue that's rooted in, hey, Jim, Jimmy, we know that you got you probably got some different things going on with your brain. Let's come up with a plan for how we can solve that. Now, I've often found uh, that, especially in younger children, fidgets in the classroom uh, can help because it gives them something to do. And when we occupy the body to some extent, that uh, can also help uh, young people engage in behavioral control. I don't exactly know what it is, but a lot of these kids, uh, Susie, are what we call kinesthetic learners. And if we can find ways in the classroom of engaging their bodies, 
And that helps to allay the boredom that many of them are beset with. And if we can do those two things, I find that the ability to control impulses is significantly enhanced. But even on to, aside from that, just having that dialogue, because so often these children feel like they're the object of scorn. The teacher doesn't like me. The teacher doesn't get me. The teacher doesn't understand me. If we can engage in a productive conversation, um, that relationship can be an incubator that can help that student develop self-control, imp impulse inhibition, if, if, you know, to use more of a technical terminology. So that's why I think it comes back and I hate to, you know, keep bringing it back to that, but I think the fundamental uh, step that will begin the whole process is to school yourself on the brain. Uh, and I always use the caudate nucleus example because any classroom teacher will tell you that one of the most bedeviling aspects of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is that impulsivity that can really disrupt the classroom dynamic. That is some really sage guidance. And one thing I found over the years is I, I believe that we teach how we learn. And that gives me some insight into probably one of the reasons you were so successful with s some kids exhibiting these, these traits is, is that's, you understand how they need to learn. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of the active classroom and, and I know I got to get up. <laughs> so I mean, I'm always wanting things where I can get up and touch something. Okay. So we've been talking a little bit about, you know, what it's like to be them. You mentioned how you felt you were different. Um, and, and how if they have impulsivity issues and then teachers respond a certain way, now students are feeling like maybe the teacher doesn't like me and it, and it, and it dings them up. So let's talk a little bit though about the flip side because some of these kids really come with some gifts. So what are some of the good things about having ADHD? Well, one of, one of the paradigms that I can use to talk about that is I, and we didn't mention at the beginning, but my most recent book, is called Schindler's Gift, How One Man Harnessed ADHD to Change the World. And it's about Oscar Schindler, a man who saved 1,200 Jews from the fires of the Holocaust. And his life offers us a great window into how many of the uh, troubling traits of ADHD actually can be flipped and harnessed to positive uh, pursuits. Now, Oscar Schindler, like a lot of the young people with ADHD that I work with, he was impulsive. He was bored in school. He constantly ran his mouth. He had trouble sitting still. He was a kinesthetic learner. He liked to take things apart and fix things, but did, did not do very well sitting in a classroom. Like a lot of ADHD individuals, he was a risk taker. He needed to take risks. If he wasn't taking risks, he was bored. That's all part and parcel of that aspect of ADHD where ordinary, repetitive, routine realities do not rouse the ADHD brain. So ADHD people will often take risks. And this is an attempt to bring in more intense stimulation. Well, Oscar Schindler was one of these guys. Now, had he not been a risk taker, he would not have taken the risk to his own life to save 1,200 Jewish people from one of the most evil empires in the history of humankind. Uh, if he was not, if he was not one of these people who was hyperactive and driven by a motor, he would not have had the energy and the passion to go through various levels of Nazi bureaucracy to bribe hundreds of Nazi officials to free his workers. Had he been a more measured person who was real good at just, you know, coming up with a plan and sticking to it 
and you know having his goals he wouldn't have spent all of his money to save his Jewish workers. He went to Krakow, Poland in 1939 to make money to get wealthy, but he ended up, you know, spending that money to save his workers. That is a trait that, you know, we often see in ADHD individuals where we are we are overcome with the passions of the moment. Um often to negative effect. But in Oscar Schindler, these features of his that were often negative in school and in life, they turned into assets. And so what I think we need to do, Susie, is we need to help ADHD people find pursuits, positive pursuits into which they can harness that energy because that has a dual purpose. It rouses their brain, it keeps their brain engaged, but it also allows them to feel good about themselves. Because so often in school, we feel bad about ourselves. We feel that something is wrong with us. So we have to find ways uh, of turning that around. But ADHD people are the risk takers of the world. They are the people who prefer intensity. Go to an emergency room. You will find a high percentage of emergency room doctors have ADHD. There are these wildfires out in California right now. I, I would wager my house. I would bet my house that at least 50% of them have ADHD. People who are drawn to intense situations, people who are motivated to take risks, these people are much more likely to be ADHD than not. That's really fascinating, and I can't wait. Now, is that new book, is that available now? Because I saw that on your site. I didn't mention it because I wasn't positive. Is that available now? It's available. It's on Amazon. Um, the audio is not yet available, but the uh, the print book is. It's, it's Schindler's Gift, How One Man Harnessed ADHD to Change the World. And in that book, at the end of each chapter, I have a section called Raising Schindlers at the end of every chapter, and it is uh, nuts and bolts recommendations of how if you have a child that, like Oscar Schindler, hated school, was a kinesthetic learner, had impulsivity and self-control issues, was often beset by boredom, I give nuts and bolts steps on how you can deal with that child. It's geared towards parents, and it's equally geared towards teachers. Okay, thank thank you so much for that. And Kevin speaks internationally about these topics. And where do you want, before I move on, how can people find you? Do you want them to contact you by Facebook, your website? What's the best approach? Well, if it's if if it's your listeners, I'm gonna give out my phone number. People can call me. Okay. 248-867-3591. If you would prefer to email, it is Kevin at Kevin J. Roberts, don't forget the J in the middle, KevinJRoberts.net, not .com, .net. And the website is just that, www.KevinJRoberts.net. Yay. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to transition a little bit because Kevin and I, I, I hit this link on his site and watched it, got really involved. Um, on his website, he has a link to something he participated in ABC's 2020. Uh, they did a program about cyber addiction and gaming addiction. And boy, was it fascinating. And this is a big field for Kevin. So I want to switch a little bit and talk about it because I read on your site that you're a recovering video game addict. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, again, one of the features of ADHD is that ADHD people struggle 
to find routine, mundane, repetitive reality, which is most of life, okay, uh, we struggle to find satisfaction. And so that's partly the reason that a lot of us are risk takers, because taking risks is a way to inject intensity into our lives. So for me, what I chose to do, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a totally conscious choice, but I have to take responsibility for, for it as a choice. I got lost by injecting intensity into my life through video games. You know, I'm like a lot of the boys nowadays. I like the shooting games and, you know, the squad level military games where you're getting online and, you know, participating in battles with other players and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I got really engaged in that. And it was so supremely satisfying to me that I would often play for hours at a time. I don't mean two hours. I mean like eight, 10, 12. And so eventually I decided, and the, you know, it's interesting, Susie, because you talk a lot about my books for me, one of the determining factors that got me to deal with that problem was I wanted to publish. I wanted to have a book published. And my first book published was actually about my cyber addiction. But the reason I decided to really deal with that was because I wanted to be a writer. And I realized that by spending so much time in front of the screen, I wasn't doing that. And, the, you know, the, the dovetail between that and ADHD is that a lot of the people who have excessive screen issues often have these folks often have ADHD as well um, because really what what it is is it's like how, how do I pursue a reward in my life how do I get a sense of satisfaction and so many of us in this culture are finding our our daily sense of satisfaction through the screen so um, it and and by the way, you know, going back to my book on Oscar Schindler, Oscar Schindler would definitely be a screen addict if he were still alive today. How prevalent do you think this this has become? I mean, I watched that program and I, I was just, gosh, you know, and you guys can click on on Kevin's site; he's got a link to it. But there was a young lady who was on her phone all the time, and then and then it all went all the way up to a grown man with with small children, and he would be in the basement all night long on these games. How prevalent is it? What warning signs? When does it stop being just a little bit of fun and it seems pretty innocent and really turn to trouble? Well, first of all, I mean, when, when you take somebody like me or some of the folks in that program, a couple of whom I, I work with professionally, um, we are at a different level. I mean, you know, we are at the level where it has become a significant disruptor to satisfaction in life, to successful relationships, to career, to school performance. You know, we're at a very different level. And when you get people like us, people that you see in that program, you'll often, you'll almost always find that we have other issues. We've got depression. We have undiagnosed ADHD. We have social anxiety. You know, frequently when I, especially with females, when I get, you know, parents coming to me about their daughter, uh, maybe she's an excessive social media addict. Um, a lot of times we find there are bullying incidents that happen. You know, there are other things. So you sort of have to look at it like an iceberg. You know, the tip of the iceberg is that excessive screen orientation. But underneath that, there's usually a lot of other stuff that you have to deal with. But that being said, I think that our society is ex excessively screen oriented 
And I think it's damaging uh, our relationships, our ability to find deep and meaningful connections with other people. And I think it's all also damaging our ability to have patience and to have persistence because, you know, finding a sense of reward and a sense of satisfaction is as easy as just picking up your phone. I mean, I go, I was at the bank yesterday and waiting in line. Yeah, I still do, um, you know, at the branch banking and, um, Everybody in line, except this one woman who I think was in her late 70s, was on his or her phone. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I was a little nosy, so I looked and, you know, two of the ladies were on Facebook. Um, this guy was answering email and we never turn off. You know, we don't have opportunities to just relax, to just be patient. Uh, we are always plugged in. And I just worry about what it's doing to our brains. And, you know, this study that I'm involved with. Uh, at Detroit Children's Hospital, we are, we're not just doing children, we're doing young adults as well. And we're finding that there are some significant brain differences in people who are excessively screen oriented. They have some different things going on in their brain, uh, in their brain. So I just worry the, about the long-term trends. You know, are we creating, uh, the next generation to be kind of, uh, less interpersonal oriented and more screen oriented, I feel that we are. And and while there are some benefits with that, I really think we ought to be careful so that we don't lose, you know, that interpersonal connectedness that I think is something fundamental to human society. You know, I think about that a lot. I'm so glad you brought that up. And, and it's interesting for me because I've been an educator forever. And when I first started teaching, this was, we were everything, we had a big push of uh, more student use of technology, more student use of technology. And here we are now where I'm talking to people who in schools now are having days where we're just going to unplug. We're, we're giving, right. we're taking a day to just no screen time. And I, and I mean, I just, I think we're struggling a little bit with the balance in the classroom of we want them. It, it, it's a great tool. Um, but then you, what you're talking about is a certain group of students that this really might be problematic for. Um, how do you help them? I mean, if they are addicted to this. And on this way too much to the point that it's really negatively impacting their lives. And I know you counsel these families. Uh, what are some of the things you do to try to help them? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, obviously, w what we're talking about with families is, you know, it's usually going to be the parent who has the concern. And what I find most frequently is that not all the time, but frequently the, the parent or parents also have an excessive orientation toward the screen. And, you know, the trouble is, so, you know, they're always on their phone, whatever, Facebook or whatever it is, you know, or checking email or checking the news, you know, everybody's always on their phone. And the parents kind of lack standing in the eyes of their children um, to criticize them. So I, I, I really get that. And so one of the things that I often suggest to families is that the parents first model the behavior. So if, if you're a parent, um, let your family know that you're worried about how excessively screen oriented you are. And you're going to, you know, next Thursday, I'm going to do a tech fast, you tell your family. And, you know, I want you guys to be aware of that. I don't want to be on my phone. And, um, you know, maybe talk about what you're planning on doing instead of being on your phone. But I think that the first step is to model a, a screen-free day, a screen-free evening with the family. Um, 
it, you know, it, but that's, you know, when things have gotten to a, maybe a, a bit of an intense level, you know, where you've got a real serious video game or, or cell phone addict in your house. But before you get to that point, I think there are some simple things uh, that we can do as families. We can have a tech-free zone. Um, so in my house, uh, the living room is a tech-free zone and, you know, family time, uh, and at this point, I just have my nephew living with me, but w- we will often sit and talk uh, on Thursday and Saturday nights. We just sit in the living room and it's a tech-free zone, tech-free time. Uh, I also think that it's important, especially with teenagers, that we have tech-free bedrooms uh, because, you know, so many teenagers and a lot of a lot of them have ADHD too, uh, they like to keep their phones in their rooms all night and they're up to one, two three in the morning. And the thought of not having the phone is just something that is unthinkable to them. Because if, you know, what if Kathy is having boyfriend trouble and you're not up at 3 a.m. when she sends out a group text blast about a text that her boyfriend sent her, you know, and these are the things that happen. But we we have to really insist on tech-free bedrooms, I'm afraid, because I think teenagers, it's always been a problem, Susie, that teenagers had sleep issues um, but I think it's getting incredibly worse. And, and I deal with a lot of school stuff, a lot of kids who are having trouble in school. And I find so often that one of the underlying factors that prevents them from being successful in school and being attentive during the school day is a lack of sleep. So we got to find a way to, you know, un- Help them sleep. Un- unhitch that phone, you know, for at least right. a period of time. Yeah, I missed that last part because I was checking my phone. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I have mine right here. I mean, I, I mean, I'm seeing myself in so much of this interview that I may have to fly up there and meet you, Kevin. Okay, I love that advice, though. The tech free zone. And we could do that in classrooms someday, you know, even with the sign of today, like not every day because technology is wonderful, but you know, today our learning is going to be tech free. And the other day I was in a classroom and I love this. The teacher gave them three choices of work products Two used technology and one did not. One was, Hey, here's some markers and some poster board and some glitter. Go have some fun, you know, cause there's time that just give us some glitter. You know, let's, let's work with our hands and have some fun with this. Okay. I, I just, I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to, I'm going to write, I've been taking some notes, Kevin. And what I'm going to ask, I'm going to kind of summarize some of my key points. And we talked about two big issues. And if you'll kind of think about this too, what you'd like to leave everyone with. You know, boy, on the ADHD, the dialogue, understanding as an educator that their brain is different. They can be exasperated. They can just just be drive us nuts some days. But if I look at that child and say, you know, his brain is a little different. There's some impulsivity things. I'm going to work with that. In the same way that I can teach geography, I can also teach some things about controlling our impulsivity, but also create learning environments where they can use their talents, get up and move, have some novelty, and, and reduce that tedium. Uh, and help them find success. And I, gosh, I, it's, it's way beyond telling a child to pay attention or sit up. Are you with me? And, and that kind of stuff. So I'm really loving your advice on that. And on the, on the, um, the second topic we talked about with the cyber addiction and the connection between ADHD, where a lot of these kids, uh, that just, just draws them in because it is exciting and fast paced. 
some of these um, uh, guide, some of the guidance you're giving us about a, a bedroom free zone. I mean, that bedroom free, a tech free zone in the bedroom so they can at least sleep and not be on these phones all night, a, te- a tech free zone in the living room, um, and maybe even a screen free day. So I know I've kind of taken all your thunder there, but what are some things that you could leave our listeners with from our conversation today? Well, boy, you you did a great job of summarizing. Sorry, well, I, I'm a, no, I'm actually like really impressed because I was like wondering how the heck am I going to summarize all this stuff? You did the job for me. Um, I'll tell you that the, the first thing is, and, and you already hinted at it, but if you have if you're a teacher and you've got an ADHD or who's kind of bothering you, and I'm going to be the first one to say I know I was a bother to many teachers. I know I was the bane of the existence of many teachers. Find a way to have a positive dialogue with that person and that you will be amazed at how much a positive dialogue uh, can go a long way towards you and the student shaping a shared view of what's going on and what is needed to change. And, and, And that dialogue in and of itself then can lead to other discussions like, well, what, what could make this better for you? And how could we change things? Because here's the thing, and this is what I didn't mention this, but when you make, when a teacher makes changes that make the learning environment more conducive to an ADHD student, it makes it more conducive for everybody. What works for an ADHD student, and I'm going to use your term, an active classroom, that works for everybody. That works for absolutely everybody, except maybe, you know, there might be an occasional student here and there who's a statistical outlier, but that works for everybody. And then, you know, the other thing that I want to highlight is that um, ADHD people do have tremendous gifts and do have tremendous talents. And the, the extent to which a parent or a teacher or a therapist can positively connect with an ADHD per, uh, ADHD person and have a productive conversation. That's the extent to which you'll be helping that person realize his or her gifts. Um, and I will tell you one other thing: we didn't mention. I have an ebook that's I think it's like two dollars or something. It's eighty pages. It's called "Get Off That Game Now." Oh, we did mention that in "Get Off That Game Now." I have a whole tech fat, two chapters on how to do a tech fast as a family, how to prepare for it, how to do it, all the, and I have a lot of other parents who, who uh, I quote about their experiences and what works and what doesn't. So if you were, if you really want to do that, that book is a, is a very uh, inexpensive primer on how to do that, uh, gets into the nuts and bolts of it. And they could just go to Amazon and type in Kevin Roberts. And I tell you how I searched for you is Kevin Roberts ADHD. <laughs> so that's how I found you. But anyway, Robert, you're going to come up with a, with a marketing guru, uh, who is like, he's a marketing genius and we share the same name, no relation. So if you put in Kevin Roberts cyber, Kevin Roberts ADHD, you'll usually come up with my stuff. Okay. Well, guys, let me just tell you, Kevin, I just, I cannot thank you enough for talking to us today because I, this is such a fascinating area. And Kevin and I, we don't want not want to say goodbye before we thank every educator for all that you do every day, because you know what? You're out there uncovering the gifts in all your children, opening doors for your kids. And it's just the most important job in the whole world. Join us every week for our podcast with other educational thought leaders like Kevin Roberts. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. 
We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert. 